Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and we have a great guest, an international best-selling author of three books, Saved by the Light, At Peace, In the Light, and Secrets of the Light. Yes, we are talking to Danian Brinkley, a highly respected international speaker who delivers eye-opening, inspirational, and insightful messages to audiences worldwide on topics including near-death experiences and hospice care, complementary and alternative healing practices. Uh, he is an, in the leading edge so you're now listening to the Taz and Paula show, and uh, we are waiting for Taz to come on with us. I'm here. Oh. Hello. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Well, I guess we. I thought you were Danian, so uh, go ahead, and I will try to call Danian on the other line. Okay. Are you, okay. Well, um, I'm Taz, and um, well, as our listeners might remember, Paula, um, that you and I were invited to spend the day a couple of weeks ago at the GATE organization that stands for Global Alliance Transformational Entertainment um, in Beverly Hills. This particular event supports to lift all of humanity to a new level of ethical and spiritual expressions. And it's bringing the film and movie industry to levels never seen before, and actually it was um, a writer's dream for us to be there, and guess what? We met Danyan there, and today, Danyan, we um, are ready for you to share your present insights for mastering life in this incredible time of shift and miracles. Now, Danyan's ability to understand and help one achieve empowerment in these wondrous times comes from being struck by lightning in 1975 and dead for 28 minutes. Yes, he really was. Um, he is considered a walking miracle, um, having survived insurmountable odds, including two lightning strikes, open-heart surgery, brain surgery, and a massive grand mal seizure. Uh, his three near-death experiences have left him with an extraordinary sense of perception. I'm still trying. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Well, um, in in um, I'll tell 
continue to tell about Danyan. In issues surrounding the death process, Danyan is one of the premier crusaders on behalf of hospice and palliative care and is a leading expert in the field of grief and bereavement. Danyan is also a driving force in the integration of complementary and allopathic medicines, especially at the end of one's life. And uh, in 1997, Danyan co-created a non-profit organization, the Twilight Brigade Compassion in Action in Los Angeles to recruit and train volunteers to be at the bedside of those in transition. And since then, more than 5,300 have taken the volunteer uh, training um, support system. And it's, we were so excited to see Daniel at this event. Um, no surprise, however, because obviously he's on the leading edge and bringing everything to the forefront for everyone. Hello? Oh, uh, let me give you a phone number to call in on. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it looks like um, right now, and, and by the way, he's also... Um, um, he's writing his latest book, and we'll be talking about that. And um, and we're waiting right now for Daniel to give us a jingle. And uh, I think Paula. I just yeah. I just heard from him, so um, I guess he'd forgotten to take the telephone number with him. So I gave it to him, and he's going to be calling in in a minute. Okay, good. Well, I was just. Letting people know, you know, he has a new book about ready to arrive on the shelf here, and uh, it'd be fun to talk with him about that for sure. Yeah, I know. Um, he really looked great too when we saw him. Oh, here he is. I just saw him come in. Okay. Hi, Daniel. We were just introduced you, and we were saying how great you looked when we saw you in Los Angeles. You go, girls. <laughs> May you be blessed. Oh, you're in such a credible light. It's so exciting to have you with us today. Uh, you know, it's just uh, talk about leading edge. You really have stuck your nose out there in different ways uh, over these last few years. And uh, it's pretty awesome, you know, how you can come back and and bring news to people from the other side and allowing them to see a new format here. And to see themselves, we are in a we're in a transitional period, guys, that now becomes either world war or world peace, and how we handle it and how we look at who we are is going to be the decisive factor in what happens. So when I saw you guys, I have to say that you guys look pretty good yourself, and so I I mean it was pretty exciting and. Uh, since since all the things that I've gone through through the years, I've literally lost so much fear. I don't live in a fear-based reality. I believe in the spiritual power of our humanness to transform what appears to be reasonably bleak. Think about $5.50. I was watching CNN this morning, and at the rate of increase, gasoline by July will be $5.50 a gallon. Now that's a reality check. Whoa, we're going to be using <laughs> webinars instead of using gas. Oh, that's it. I mean, I'll be walking. And well, Norway, it's already eleven dollars a gallon. 
Wow. $11 a gallon. I guess we're going to have to touch reality here. Mopeds. Well, Dan, you know what? You've you've brought forth some predictions and prophecies and things like that and and with current events and and world affairs and I I you know what? Do you see um at this point like we really do have a choice where we're going? Oh, no, we win. Remember oh, they good. they went to 2014. And yeah. this period between 2000, I always between 2000 Eight to 2012, 13 would be some per, pretty curious times. Uh, I, in 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 the original version of Secrets of the Light, when I self-published it, I put in a series of going back through the original prophecies, which were really the boxes of knowledge. I did not know when it happened because I was not as an expert on near-death experiences when I got struck by lightning in 1975. I was just some jackass from South Carolina. And as I go back and review them and I see, I see so much about what the divine realized are the probable possibilities of the choices we'll make. But what brings me such great comfort is that we wake up as we run through this election cycle and we see this, we are we will less polarize and begin to care more about our nation, our children and our grandchildren and a lot of us our parents than we care about political issues. And we will make drastic steps toward uh balancing the books. So we win. We, the the ninety nine percenters, quote unquote, we win. We we will come about. I, I was just watching the other day. I wrote about the chip implant that would regulate healthcare. And people who wrote read Saved by the Light. That was a seventeen year old book. When you look at Saved by the Light, I wrote it. Uh, it talks about the chips that could be implanted that would distribute medicine and could determine at a certain point, that it could create life or death. Well, that exact chip was uh, approved by the FDA last Tuesday Tuesday, a week ago. So two weeks ago, that chip was approved by the FDA. So a lot of those things that have really, truly beneficial aspects, because the chip has beneficial aspects, but it also, uh, when I saw it in the box of knowledge, it had a sinister aspect. And so I don't dwell on sinister. I look for the best in everything because if we do it that way, then we take these things that are possibilities and we do them for the good. We win. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> well, if we concentrate on the negative, that's what happens. So, you're, But that's, you know, where, but that's yeah. what everything does. The other night I was watching all of the major network newscast, and they each only reported on the same things. ABC, NBC, and CBS carried all the same news, one right after another. I mean, it's like they all got the same script, and it drives fear. I was laughing uh, about uh, they were saying that Iran... Iran, Iran, Iran was building a missile that could hit New York. If they got a nuclear weapon, they could bomb New York. 
Do you know how stupid that sounds if you've ever been in the Middle East? <laughs> That's stupid. And then I know the Is- it. and think of this. The Israelis are whining and saying that they think Iran is going to attack them. Okay? And they're going to attack Israel. Well, anybody who thinks that has got to be a fool because number 1 if you look at Islam, Islam Islam is 1.4 billion people. 200 million of that 1.4 billion are Shia. The rest are Sunnis, and the radical part of the Sunnis, called the Wahhalis, are 1.2 billion. The, 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 the three most sacred shrines in Islam is Mecca, the Dome of the Rock, and Sidi Saharazan. So anyone who would think that 200 million people, which is what, uh, which is what old Persia, or Iran, and Iraq are, they are Shias, would attack the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem is crazy. They would never do it. And the very moment that 1.2 billion other Muslims thought that Iran was going to do that, we could all just come home, for they would wipe them off the face of the earth. Because remember, in in Islam, the twelfth Iman, the great Madri, was going to appear at the Dome of the Rock. Well, how could he appear at the Dome of the Rock if they nuke it? <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. I sit and I laugh about it because when you put this stuff into context spiritually, it doesn't make any sense. And yet they stuff it down our throats and frighten us. And Iran, to even think that a little country like Iran would think for a minute to attack the United States, they would never even think about it as a possibility. Never. So when you look at it, when you look at it from that point of view, you realize we win. Unless, unless United States makes up an excuse to attack Iran. Well, I don't really think in this next two years when gas will hit $5.50, you have to find out what they're really doing. What they're really doing is they have to take control of the Iranian Central Bank because the Iran has a 1,000 a, a thousand tons of gold and they have oil And when we put all these sanctions against them, India and China have decided the way around the UN and the European and American sanctions is they're going to pay for their oil in gold. So they're not going to not buy oil. India and China are not going to buy oil like the United States and uh, the United and the uh, European Common Market aren't. They're just going to pay for it in gold, and that defeats the purpose. So sooner or later, something has to happen. But I think conversations like us, just like what we're doing, and spiritually looking at it from a a very level point of view instead of that terror rhetoric that we listen to. I mean, think about this. Yesterday, before before, uh, a public crowd, the general counsel for the Pentagon said that they had approved the sanction of murdering Americans 
considered terrorist. You can mm. now, which is unconstitutional and illegal, that you can kill an American covertly because they are presumed terrorist. Now, that's when it's getting weird. Yeah, really? But, but, but it's still exciting times. You know, these are... These are exciting times for spiritual unfoldment. So I didn't mean to get off on all that nuclear Iran business, but I think about it, and like you said, so many of those things that were in the boxes of knowledge have come true, roughly 97%. So the probable possibilities of the choices that we would make have already spiritually been considered and that realm of consciousness knows that these are our choices. And I already know, since I saw 214, I already know we will make the right choices. You know, people are really waking up. They, you know, it's it's pretty exciting, actually. And I, th- I, mean, I, I, you know, I feel the same as you. Yeah, I I mean, it's like you can go out into a group of people and you can start speaking about different things and... um and people are still wondering at the moment, though, however, you know, why the European countries are so much more ahead than than we are as far as disclosure goes. But there's, um, but still, you know, it's there. They are really awake. I mean, a, a lot of the people within a crowd. So, you know, it is definitely and. And even for us to be down uh, where we saw you at the gate organization uh, in uh, in Los Angeles, it was like those people, I mean, they they really, you know, and they make the films and the movies and everything. uh, You know, all they're they're doing at this point is is maneuvering and helping people support people and, and writing scripts so People can really see the truth. I mean, it's and, helping and them. And wasn't that thrilling? Wasn't it thrilling to see that? Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, yeah. they're listening to uh, the listen to the people on the stage who are the cutting edge leaders to come together to tell people what what to look at it and how we have to transform because the American the movie industry and film industry literally drives other than. Bollywood or Indian, we literally drive film and we drive how people see things and that John Rast and uh and that team that would came, that came together to look at this as an issue and to really drive that forward. I was quite impressed. I I told uh I told John that I thought that more and more people will come online because you look at what Matt Damon is doing and you look at what uh, Clooney is doing and you look at what uh, what these people are doing. I mean, they should have been at in, at attendance at the gay community, and I'm sure John invited them. But, you know, everybody has their own scheduling, but they're doing the same thing that John is doing. Look at this last film of Clooney, Descendants. It's, I mean, it's, uh, the world is becoming a community, rather the higher upper <laughs> people that don't want change. Uh, it, it's happening no matter what. And did you see that um, Russia's issued warrants for the for George Bush and uh, Cheney and uh, Henry Kissinger? 
No, but congratulations, <laughs> Russia. <laughs> They've issued warrants for them. <laughs> because oh, I didn't hear of, that. Oh, God. I just, uh, uh, I get this this thing called Veterans Today, and it has a whole article on it where some some MP in England came forward and presented in detail how that, uh, how that during the, uh, since the, like the, the early 80s, they had created a banking cartel that was illegally using as collateral gold that didn't exist to crush the ruble. And the collapse of the Soviet Union came about by us, from Ronald Reagan's administration, from us manipulating the gold value against the ruble. And this has become like $27 trillion from people believing a story about this uh, 7,500 tons of gold, which somebody in the Federal Reserve made up. So they issued a warrant for Timothy Geithner, a warrant for uh, Greenspan, for George Bush, uh, for his dad, for Henry Kissinger. Mm. I mean, and that was on uh, that was on uh, in in England in the Parliament. Some lord that got was up in the House of in the in the House of Lords, and had two thousand documents that traced it all the way. It's called the Wanta W A N T A fund. Oh it's yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I've heard about that, but I didn't. It's pretty know amazing. It come up. Yeah. So that was in the <laughs> Veterans um, paper. That's yeah, amazing. February the 21st. Oh, wow, that's great. And well, I can hardly it's just wait. like what you guys are saying. People are waking up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not sad that the Soviet Union as we knew it collapsed because I predicted that in 19 in 1975 because I saw the collapse. It was what created the great legend of Danion. I didn't none, none of that stuff happened for 4 years. I said it in nineteen in nineteen seventy seventy six in conversations with Raymond, Doctor Moody, and then it began to happen. And it was Raymond who saw it the first one. He called me, you know, and uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. And this is when all, I started looking at the near death experience from a, a, the professorial point of view. See, I didn't know anything about a near-death experience, when I had it in 1975, it didn't have a name. Raymond had not written his landmark book, Life After Life, After Life and how I became Danion was that the hospital that they took me to where I was dead for 28 minutes was the University of Georgia's medical college, which was where Raymond was going to medical school. Nothing's a coincidence, is it? God is a tricky, tricky individual. <laughs> Well, can you explain to our listening audience how you worked with Raymond Moody? So in the early days, uh, when Raymond and I came together, Raymond uh, had heard about it in the hospital, and and he he was interviewing people because Raymond had a was teaching uh, he had a PhD in philosophy, and he was teaching philosophy in a college in North Carolina, and a kid had had a near-death experience, and he asked Raymond about it. And Raymond became curious. So when Raymond went to medical school, 
he began to really going to patients that were in the hospital and asking people if they had had experiences. And he came across Vi Horton, two or three really grounded, down-to-earth people. And me, I was just a jerk, you know, hardcore, tough guy. And so we became, Raymond and I became fast friends, you know, and I had a, a really good understanding of this experience because it, I was gone for so long. And so we began in the early days, I, I was the ultimate dead guy, and Raymond <laughs> was the researcher, and we just began to talk and look at it. And then he wrote a second book called Reflections on Life After Life, and we, he got more in-depth, and then more and more people began to research it. Uh, Ken Ring and Bruce Grayson and Michael Sabah, me and Stephen Melvin Morris, all these early, early researchers. And I was pretty much like the go-to guy when someone would try to find the language. You know, I don't speak English. I speak Southern American. And when I had this experience, you know, I was dead for 28 minutes, completely paralyzed for six days, partially paralyzed for seven months. It took two years to learn to walk and feed myself. So I had a lot of spare time. And in that time, I would take the dictionary and I would sit and go through thesauruses and dictionaries to find language to explain something that has no ability to explain. You know, the ethereal world, we don't have structured language, unless you use now quantum physics, which most people don't understand, about what happens over there. So I had developed a pretty good vocabulary to cohesively string language together to get across people's interpretations into a usable language. You know, I, what they would, they would all call me and they say, Daniel, this is what this person said, and then I would translate it into Southern American, and they would go back to the person and they'd say, Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's better, that's what happened. So I became that person, and we developed a language. I was with Raymond, the Panoramic Life Review. The terms down the tunnel, the the basic anomalies that happened in a near-death experience. And then when I had the second near-death experience, 13 years later, I became more and more uh, of an observer of the experience than it just being a phenomena because I was entrenched in the information and I'm an obsessive-compulsive personality type. Even dead, I'm obsessive-compulsive. And so I began to really look at it as a, more like a research project. And every time I would learn something new, and then seven years later, I had the the next one with brain surgery. And it began to be not a phenomena, but a natural process by which we would leave this world. And that's why I wrote Saved by the Light, at Peace in the Light, and the Secrets of the Light, to try to put it in a everyday language to be useful for people who are going to deal with end of life. And I'm writing this new book now called Ten Things You Need to Know Before You Go. Aspire to inspire before you expire. <laughs> so when you're on the other side and you come back, do you remember everything that happened, or is it like a dream and and you don't oh, capture it? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I'm a detail-driven. You know, I mean, I'm detail-driven. You don't remember everything. And, and not only not remember, you don't have language. 
You know, you don't have language. I could explain some of it in digital compression. You know, if you look at what we now use in, like, high definition, if you look at the electronic terms or the computerized terms of digital compression, high definition, if you look at quantum physics of dimensional reality, multiple dimensional reality, if you look at the string theory and the chaos theory, I can explain a lot of what happens over there using those types of theories. But who in the hell understands that? <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so you just keep it down to basically we are great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings. We have dignity, we have direction, and we have purpose. Okay? We come to this world because we choose to come and we're chosen to come. The most important point is that we were chosen to come and that the divine architect believes that there is absolutely no one better to you than you to be born at the exact moment you, you were born to achieve the spiritual unfoldment of a universe, not just your neighborhood or in your family, but the universe as a whole. We've heard all our lives that we're all one. The Buddha said we're all one. We're all connected. Today, you can scientifically prove that, that we are all connected in a fabric that we call dark matter. And you can replicate it in a laboratory. You know, there's called the hog, the 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 Higgs-Bog particle, which was a, an equation some scientists wrote on a chalkboard in 1948, but has proven to become true. And so now the CERN uh, collider in Switzerland is trying to to capture that by proton, bomb, electron proton bombardment, okay, by to create the prove the replication of that theory. So what we used to think was mythology or uh, psychobabble is now scientifically proven. And think about this for a moment: the basics of physical matter. Let me show you how real this world is compared to that world. That world is real. The world that we leave here and go to is real. This world is not. And people say, well, Daniel, that's just crazy. Let me pinch you and see if you feel it. Okay, well, you can pinch me. If you can pinch me, it's my brain that feels it. It's not where you pinch me. But think of this. The universe, a physical body, let's just take... Uh, the population of America. That's 300 million people. Okay, 300 million people. What are they made out of? They're made out of atoms that's made out of molecules that become cells. Okay, so let's take an atom. An atom is 94.6% empty space. Okay, then let's take a molecule. 92% empty space. And then let's take a cell, 93% empty space. Hmm. So if you took every human being in the United States today and you emptied out the empty space in an atom, in a molecule, and a cell, you took all the empty space out, all 306 million of us would fit in a matchbox. Wow. That is proven science. Wow. So now who are you? You are a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. 
okay, and you choose to come to this, and you were chosen to come to this, why? You had advanced as a spiritual being to have the opportunity to appear to be separate from everything so that you can learn compassion, caring, creation, co-creator. If we are children of God, wouldn't we like to be like our parents? And so this is that opportunity that you come so that you think you're separate from everything else, but science can prove today that you're not. And science has proven today, replicable in every laboratory on the earth, that there is no such thing as material matter. And there is a such thing as particle matter, but no such thing as material matter. Then who are you? You're a spiritual being. And you've come here because it's our purpose to grow. And we get off track. And people say, well, Daniel, how in the world did everything get so screwed up? That's just very easy. If you're a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose, there is only one place that anything can go wrong. Something has affected your dignity. Something has affected your dignity. And when you look at it from that point of view, you begin to see it. We all have the inner child and childhood things and abuse and neglect and terror and fear and you're going to hell. And all of that stuff begins to you to identify your dignity in a complete separate way from the from the whole concept of the spiritual identity. You become isolated instead of connected, and you develop uh, you develop fear based realities as opposed to loving compassionate based realities. And that's, uh, that's how we have. Nine point, that's ninety nine point nine percent of all of us. I mean, that we feel separate. Yeah, but we're getting over that because yeah. science says that's nonsense. Remember, those were mythologies until today. But today, to think that is absurd, and to think that if you can pick up your cell phone. And you can snap a picture of yourself. And you can send it to somebody in China in less than two seconds. How disconnected are you? <laughs> and you see, this is where I come from. I, I have grown up in death. You know, I've been a hospice volunteer for 34 years. I've been with 2,005 people going from this world to the next and 422 taking their last breath. And I have probably 27,000 hours at the bedside, and it's my hobby, helping people face the reality of the truth. And the truth is that they chose to come and were chosen to come, and there are certain spiritual things that a person needs as they begin that phase of leaving this world from what appears to be connectivity to disconnectivity. And there are certain things that people need, and I've spent my life since this happened to me doing that. Now, Daniel, do you think that the veils um, are coming down so that – because I hear more and more people stating that they they actually can see and talk to their ancestors more now than ever before. The ancestors that crossed over, it seems like the, the veils have been lifted. Thinning. As you move, let's look at it from the Mayan point of view. We're moving from the galactic cycle, and the, this is 25,920 years. 
we go our galaxy called the Milky Way and our solar system, our little little dwarf star in 1.1 billion planets and stars called our galaxy, the Milky Way, and our little solar system with our little 12 or 13, 14 planets, depends on who you're talking to, moves from the outer layer. Uh, it takes 25,900 years to move to the inner the rotation to the inner part of the galaxy, which is called the galactic center. And then it moves into what's called the precession of the equinox. It goes from one constellation. You know, the constellations basically referred to as astrology, but our constellations, and it moves into a next the next constellation. If you look at it from a, a mythological uh, mysticism point of view, there are different cosmic rays of energy that affects it through each of these cycles. That's where astrology comes from and how you're affected by planetary influences and that stuff. And guess what? Most of the most of the great uh, scientists of old, Galileo, Copernicus, uh, these great astronomers who created what we now know as to be the basic science, were originally astrologers. We don't talk about it because that's supposed to be a pseudo science. But how they came to conclude the Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, how they came to conclude. The, how the operation of the universe and magnetism and tidal waves and was influenced magnetically was because they were astrologers. And when people say that you're not influenced by the planetary by planetary experience based on astrology, the first thing you ask them was, well, how come the moon affects the waves? And how come when the moon is full or closest to the earth, the tidals that the waves of the ocean are bigger and larger and more affected, and you are 76% water. So if it affects the entire ocean, three-fourths of the planet, how could it not be affecting you? That would be stupid to think if it wasn't. So when you move from one cycle into the next cycle, the veil thins because the vibration begins to change. And then the vibration will begin to change because we're going from the galactic period or from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age and what the Mayans call the galactic period to the universal period. And this universal period, think about what the Internet is. Think about what tweeting is. Think about how in real time we can see what's happening in Syria and Iran and anywhere in the world in real time on your cell phone. So the universal period. Then the veil thins. And when you start to look at these things and you begin to vibrate faster and those worlds or dimensions that we call death or other dimensions or dimensional realities, we connect to it quicker because that veil lifts and thins. Now, this is all science. It's not mythology anymore. And think of this. You can measure it. Here's what's funny, and science keeps us all under wraps. But we have a sub-sub-subatomic particle called a neutrino. And the neutrino was discovered in nuclear, in nuclear science. It was discovered in like 1958, between 1958 and 1961, at the Savannah River Nuclear Laboratories, which was their job was to build tritium triggers for for hydrogen, atomic, and then thermonuclear weapons. 
and in the course of it, they discovered a neutrino. And when you you can look at neutrinos, and right now the measurement of neutrinos and how that as a cosmic force of energy, you can measure it in new cloud formations that are being created. Why are we having so many floods all over the world? This is a buildup of neutrinos in cumulus nebulous clouds, and it holds more moisture, and you can measure it. But what the atomic scientists were able to do is to put a nano element called a tachyon on a neutrino, and the neutrino will leave this dimension, enter another dimension, and at a certain a certain rate of vibration, return. And they know it's the same neutrino because it has the tachyon tag attached to it, which is another sub 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 subatomic particle. So you know, when we walk around every day, and we believe in the nonsense of the 20th century, we live in the 21st century. So when you ask me, Daniel, more people are saying that they're connecting to their ancestors, which is just another dimension. Is that possible? It is scientifically proven. There is no, there is no theoretical physicist on the earth today that says, beam me up, Scotty, is not possible. That time travel and uh, dimensional travel is not not only possible, but in the next 50 years, we will have what was in Star Trek, the uh, the beam me up, Scotty, the time space to, to disassemble you molecularly and reassemble you somewhere else, because that's what the cell phone has already proven to be valid. And people from ancient cultures were able to do that. Yeah, before. because they didn't have electricity. You know what you have to look at is electricity, and what's called the the the. When you look at, think about this: if you go under a power line, if you have a fluorescent light bulb, and you go under, go under a, one of those big high-powered power lines, it lights up the bulb. Okay, it lights the bulb up. It'll brighten up just like cutting it on in a switch. Okay, we call that gauze. And if you want to measure how much current is passing through a cable. You put a, a device called a gauze meter around the wire. You know you have the you have the wire, and then you have the insulation, and then you have the plastic wrapping or the rubberized wrapping to protect it. So it's just a little wire, but it's probably got three times as much covering on it. So you put a gauze meter around it, and you never touch it, and you can measure how much electricity, because that electrical current produces. Uh, Static and gauze are, uh, are 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 radiation energy, and when you have that, then you it affects your uh, connection to the electromagnetic field on the Earth, which connects disconnects and affects your harmonic balance within the frequency called the Schumann resonance, seven point two to eight point two uh, hertz, and you lose it. Whereas in the ancient times, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have microwave. You had your natural instinctive tranquility, your connection to the earth, your belief system of Mother Earth and Father Sky, and then you were connected. You had breathing techniques, and you had, you know, they had uh, peyote, and they had mushrooms, and they had ceremonies, and they had dancing, and they had ways that they would enter into these trances, but they also had it naturally. They had an instinctive nature and a connectivity. 
what has we created one of the worst things and one of the best things that's ever happened to human beings is electricity. Yeah. <laughs> we fell backwards. <laughs> yeah, because we, we began to control. We used to sit in the rhythm of the earth, daylight and dark. And we were in a certain constant rhythm. You got up when the sun got up, and you went to bed when the sun went down, and you had a candle, or you'd sit around the fire. But we were in the harmonic rhythm of the cycles of the earth. Electricity gave us a way to separate and become dominant over the elements. And then as we moved from sorcerers to scientists and from scientists to chemists, then we began to become separate from and believed to be in control of and then you add the biblical concept of giving dominion over, which we interpret as control over, a planet. And we have abused the absolute crap out of this planet. Well, hopefully we're going to mend all of that. We're doing like it, it, not hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it. I mean, yeah. you know, we're doing it. People are raising you, up. Maybe we had to go backward in order to, in order to go forward. Well, maybe maybe how to usefully use it, you know. How do you usefully use this this technology? Tesla created uh, using static electricity, which is a byproduct of the electromagnetic field, the Earth's electromagnetic field. I mean, Tesla had 1,100 patents, but we all said he was crazy. And he invented alternating current, the ability to move current, what we now have, that's our power grid. He invented that based on the fact that he believed that there was a frequency that was in the earth that you could connect to, and he built a device called the Tesla coil that he could light, he could light light bulbs in your home with no wires. We now call that the wireless network, and we use it as communication. Well, if we can communicate wirelessly worldwide, like my my droid cell phone, I can call anybody in the world, anytime, anywhere. Anybody can call me anytime in the world, anywhere, and send me pictures of them, or I can send them pictures in real time. <clears throat> Most of that is based on a theory that Tesla wrote wrote down in probably 1928 or 1929. And, you know, we always say Marconi invented the the radio. Some Italian invented the wireless radio. That's nonsense. He used 11 Tesla patents. So now when you say who invented the radio, it is now proven and won in court that it was Tesla. So it's yeah. just us relearning how and what we are not. We are not human beings because that means we are physical we are spiritual beings that means we are dimensional and you can prove it see this is what gives me the greatest joy and what created the near death experience advancements in pulmonary uh, advancements in pulmonary cardiopulmonary uh research they can keep bringing us back so who's to blame for all this phenomena about near death experience medicine <laughs> well, I can hardly wait until the news media is released from from uh, their holders so that they can really give us the facts. But we we we're creating our own news networks. Look at you. Look at yeah. this. Look at right, Blog Talk right. Radio. Yeah. Give me a break. We can talk about anything, and people can tune in on their cell phones. They can tune in on their 
on their uh, iPads. They can tune in on their computers, and we can talk about it, and they'll never stop it. It'll never happen. Yeah, it's harder for them to keep things undercover, for sure. Well, look at you have a new a new book that's covered, and <laughs> it's coming out soon. And I, why don't you kind of you know of all the books you could have written? I mean, Daniel, you must have in your mind books that haven't even been put to paper yet. Well, how how did you come up with this new one, and what brought it forth? Well, I, I looked at uh, you know thirty five years as a hospice volunteer, and I see the horror of being uninformed, both the person in transition and the family members unable to uh, to adjust because you people never deal with it. We all hide from it, this thing called death, because we so associate it with unknown, going to hell, and now because of medicine, pain. And we, we turn away from it. You know, pain and death are so completely associated. And so people have turned away from it. And as I've watched, I have absolutely no fear of death, and I can endure enormous amounts of pain. And so as I've watched my my life, you know, what my only hobby is to be help people make that transition. And I've specialized in veterans because I believe they have more issues than most people, and they've come about from serving us as a nation and giving us the right to be who we are as Americans. And so I honor that, and I discovered in the third near-death experience so many veterans trapped in that blue-gray place, that place that self-imposed, that they chose that place because they got so accustomed to the nature's habits and uh, an ownership of physical or physical mental reality. And so they stay in that place. And so I I looked at this over 25 years, and I wrote the trilogy, Saved by the Light, the beginning of it, at peace, the, the, the what I was chose to do with my life. You know, at peace is a, it wrote in, written in 1995, I wrote what my strategy was going to be to implement what I thought was the changing in the world that was necessary based on what I understood from those beings of light. You can go back and read At Peace in the Light from 1995, and you can come to my world in 2012, and I brilliantly have executed it. Okay, and then I wrote The Secrets of the Light. The secrets were how, with Catherine, my wife, when you look at the secrets, I tried to take things that people could take the issues they were dealing with every day and put them in one of the truths. You choose to come. You're chosen to come. You know, I always take number five. I choose to be here at this time in this place because it it is the time that I can be of the greatest service and the greatest need. So when people get under stress, you can read number five and you can look at it from that point of view. And because it's the ethereal spiritual perspective of a mental, physical issue, you can clearly see what to do about it, and then you can make the right choices. I believe everything's about love. And then second, it's about belief. What do you believe about your love? Because what we do is we give our love, and we wait to someone to give us the back before we decide the value of our love. And this is where we get so crazy. Instead of really deciding the value of our love and then using people's reciprocation of it, of that love, how they 
reciprocate it to determine the value of their appreciation of our love instead of us hoping that we are appreciated, we can determine their appreciation of it and then create a relationship from there. Third, it's about choices and how we make our choices based on our belief about our love and then prayer, which I define as willful, conscious intent. I have a sweatshirt on right now that says prayer. The world's, the, let me see, it says the world's greatest wireless connection. <laughs> Oh, perfect. And so, so when I got to that, and I'll finish quickly, when I got there, I started looking at, I had written the trilogy. This was my cosmic world of Daniel, and this is the place that I looked at it from a spiritual point. But as being 62 years old and looking at what my generation are dealing with, worried about their parents, themselves in transition, worrying about their children and their grandchildren, and being responsible, I had to step up to the plate and being Daniel, you know, which is basically funny, and look at ten things that you had to know that you could use as useful tools when you had to face the inevitability. Think of this. What's the number one cause of death in America? Your heart stops. <laughs> Cancer? But, yeah, see, these are the answers most people give. The number one cause of death in America is birth. <laughs> and like your mama said, if you do number one, you're going to do number two. That's for sure. So if you're breathing, you're leaving. And once you put that into the fact of life, birth is the number one cause of death. So it's inevitable that you will transition. So the more you know about that subject, the more you know about this process, I don't call it death, I call it transition. But the more you know about it, the more power you put in your life. And remember, the first thing you learn on the other side is there is only now. Yesterday is only a memory and tomorrow is only a dream. It is always just now. And now is that moment that you decide everything that you do. So I decided that I wanted to put down ten things. That was a quick guide that you could pull off the shelf if it was Aunt Abbess or if it was your next-door neighbor losing a child or their mother, that you could pull it off the shelf, you could read through it, and then you could be a very effective friend, family member, partner, support system in giving that person what they need to get through this experience. I mean, you know, we can't just sit around and talk cosmonology all day. We have to practically look at it, and I would have to say, and I, I say this both with pride and I hope with some humility, I know as much about death as anybody on the earth. There might be some yoga somewhere in India been contemplating his navel for 20 years that might know a little bit more about it, but I'll bet you he's hungrier than I am. <laughs> now, do people get stuck um, in their transition? Sometimes. I mean, I learned this in the third near-death experience. There's a place called the blue-gray place that's where you lift out of your body. And, you know, most people say I was floating above my body. Well, the first two times I had this experience, I thought I was the only one there. And, you know, basically in my early life, I thought I was the only one that mattered anyway. I'm still kind of like that, but I've grown a lot. <clears throat> but in the third experience, I realized that this was a dimension of its own. And I wrote about it in uh, Secrets. 
I mean, anybody, there's a chapter called The Fertile Void in Secrets of the Light. All that stuff's on Amazon. You know, you can go to any bookstore and get it. I wrote about it <clears throat> because the first two times, I just thought I was the only one there. But the third time, I realized that this was a dimension, and I could see that so many people chose not to go down the tunnel because you have free will. You do not have to go. So there's a place, and there were a lot of reasons. Mostly it was about people who 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 had lost a sense of their spiritual value and had become attached to the so-called physical pleasures and that they had <clears throat> become to so enjoy domination, brutality, um, alcohol, drugs, uh, a lot of people who who really thought that what they did in the name of love and they realized once they lifted out of their body that that was delusional, like a lot of abused people. And they stay there. It's not permanent and it's not forever and it's not eternal damnation. But they were there. And what I saw was many of those people were veterans, people who had served in the military that felt betrayed. Because you realize if you've ever been in war, one of the first things you realize about war is it's utter nonsense. And what happens is when you get get ready to go from this world to the next world, and let's say that you were a World War II veteran. And one of the things I had a veteran say, he said, well, at least in Vietnam, you were not killing your own people. And I had a guy who was a first generation. His parents came to America. Uh... His parents came to America when he was seven years old, and they were from Germany, and he joined the American military, and he was he went to his own hometown from Germany, and it was his company that attacked the section of the town where his families lived, and he was a part of killing his grandparents, his aunts, uncles, and two of his cousins. Now, how do you, at 87 years old, lie in a bed in pain, dying of cancer, deal with what's going to happen to you when you've already condemned your own self to hell? Nathaniel, I have to say, I have to stop your story because we're all out of time. Um, Let's give out your website so people can order you. Well, I'm sorry I bored you guys for an hour, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it went it went by very quickly, so we must not. Well, it's just Danion dot com, D A N N I O N dot com, or the Brigade dot com, and have me back. Oh, oh we will, we will, we you love having you. The words. <laughs> Get in touch with Heidi. We I love. I love you, you. Listen, you guys know I love you. You know I love you, yeah. and you were yeah. doing the same thing I'm doing, and I'm sorry I rambled on for the whole period, but. Thank you oh. for allowing me to do it. Oh, well, thank we you for you. being with us. Well, you, have a my great sisters, day. My sisters, be blessed, be loved. Now, remember just this. I'm coming to Sedona on April the 20th to do a program, and it'll be up on the on Danion in the events page. So please tell everybody, if you're anywhere close, Come to Sedona on April 20th and look at Danion, D-A-N-N-I-O-N.com, on the events page. We will do. Love you you with all my heart. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Bye.